0: And the most interesting of these is something called the endotoxin study. Radbound University sent 12 Dutch college students to do the Wim Hof method. Uh, They also had a control group that was not doing the Wim Hof method. And what they were studying was if you inject somebody with this dead bacteria called endotoxin, what Wim claimed is that He and his students could have no autonomic response if someone injected them with endotoxin, which meant that he would be able to turn off autonomic systems and and essentially extend conscious control over autonomic systems if, if they injected with endotoxin. And what happened is that these 12 students did the same exact training program that I did. They came back, they injected all these people with endotoxin, and they had no significant physiological reaction to the bug, which is... Unheard of, which has yes. enormous implications for anyone with any sort of autoimmune illness. We stand today. This is method the business with method. the out. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds, entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and
1: tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make This happened. Now, let's jump in today's show.
0: The Business Method.
1: Okay, Noah, Mr. Noah Laith. We have Scott Carney coming on the show, the man that wrote the number one Wim Hof, the number one book on deep breathing and cold exposure with Wim Hof. Yes. So soon, and the audience probably doesn't know, but you've had a lot of experience both with WIM and and deep breathing and cold exposure, as far as like you you went skiing in your shorts with WIM, right?
2: Well, no, with with WIM uh, trainers, I have a, quite a lot of experience with WIM, and actually, I'm doing now the 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 WIM Hof instructor uh, course uh, just for fun, which is next next July, nice. and 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 obviously like nowadays WIM is like requested to to do from ads to seminars and congresses right. and, and shows everywhere even right. even with Tony Robbins right um, yeah, amazing uh, after, sought after uh, speaker
1: but one thing that you did uh, with Wim you climbed the the mountain in Poland right with with yes nothing but a shorts and boots on right
2: <laughs> y- yes, when yes you, how long ago was, was that
1: how long ago was it
2: that? Was in November uh, uh, not last year but the year before
1: okay so that wasn't that long ago
2: no, no, no. Like, yeah, we did it. I thought uh, that uh, it would not be possible, but I saw uh, an old lady with me, and there was another girl with one leg who was also climbing in her shorts My and gosh. her bikini. Actually, the mountain it was minus twenty-eight degrees Celsius. I thought,
1: wow. if,
2: if they can do it, I, I'm not allowed to uh, complain.
1: Did she have a prosthetic leg too? Like,
2: yeah, she had a prosthetic leg. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, you know, when did you start the deep breathing and the whole process?
2: So actually the organizer of uh, all Tony Robbins uh, uh, events is also the organizer of of Wim Hof uh, uh, events and they, uh, um, yeah, he was one time at my house and he took a cold shower because I forgot to turn on uh, the heater, like to heat the water. And then uh, I told him, yeah, I never take uh, hot showers. And he told no, oh, you should go to Wim Hof. And I told him, Wim who? And uh, he explained me who it was and what he did. And I was hooked. I said, oh man, I, I-, I want to meet that guy. So uh, I went to Poland and yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. I had some back pain that, that like after four or five days of, of uh, ice exposure and cold exposure, uh, uh, like left my body. I, I, don't, I don't have that problem anymore. And I don't know, it oh, just wow. gives, you, it gives you that mental, like whenever you have a stressful situation or, or uh, people calling you and, and, and something is happening that can give you some type of stress, if you do the tumour breathing, uh, it really, really makes me, makes my focus clearer. Like it uh, disconnects the problem with your feeling. Wow. So that's what I really uh, love about the breathing. And the ice exposure is mostly a training, let's say, at least for me, that it does not matter what's happening on the exterior. It's all about what's happening on the internal that decides, let's say, about how you feel.
1: So we've got Scott coming on, and Scott is a co-author of the book. What doesn't you know, kill, what doesn't what kill us? What doesn't yeah. kill us? Yeah, and he co-authored this with Wim. Now, you know this. You're the one that got me into the deep breathing, and because you would talk about Wim and and the the ice bath, and we did. We were in Thailand together. And we did some ice ba- ice bath. Oh yes, yes. And, um, but re- what really sold me on all of this was Scott's book because Scott, he climbed Kilimanjaro in record time with Wim in a group of, I think, like 25 people. And, and he did it with, pretty much no training other than deep breathing and running three miles, three times a week. And I know I had a friend at the time that was also training for Kilimanjaro and he was training for months to do Kilimanjaro, you know, so his body could acclimatize going up to that high of elevation. Um, They would spend three or four days while Scott and Wim did it, I think in around 24, 26 or 28 hours or something like that. And, and Scott, if you look, you know, you see Scott, he's just a regular guy. You know, yes. he's he's not yeah, a dude yes. that spends all the time at the gym. He's not super jacked. He's not training with major athletes. He just did this deep breathing that he learned from Wim, which is pretty amazing. So we're going to we're going to jump into the podcast here and have Scott dive in or we're going to dive into the show with Scott and learn all that he went through learning about ice baths and cold exposure and deep breathing with Wim Hof and how he's taken it to another level himself. So, you ready for the show, buddy?
2: very very curious about his experience and how yeah how, how you can actually super human yourself with with breathing i mean it's it's the most free thing available on earth
1: yes right <laughs> the cheapest still, thing on earth
2: still still free
1: for now somebody's gonna for figure now. out how to sell it <laughs> soon all right you're, you're ready for the podcast i'm, I'm ready man let's do it Entrepreneurs, systems methods tools and tactics Listeners welcome to the podcast today and I am stoked to have our guest Scott Carney on the show um, I first heard about Scott through Noah and Noah's on the podcast as well. And Noah was telling me about this, this ice man and deep breathing and taking ice baths. And the only book I need to read about this guy and the benefits of ice bass is Scott's book, what doesn't kill us. And so I dove into it and I absolutely loved it. Um, I was shocked on all the things that Scott was able to do just by practicing, um, cold showers, ice baths, and deep breathing, and I and for the past two years, I have been engulfing my life in it, doing ice baths, helping other people take ice baths, doing this breathing technique, and it's been a lot of fun, um, so we're going to jump into the show. First, I want to say hi to our co-host, Noah. Noah, how's it going? Where are you at?
2: I'm uh, in Amsterdam.
1: Yes, and, and, and in the middle of a Tony Robbins conference too, right? <laughs> Very cool. Yeah,
2: in you know, a business mastery. Business yeah. mastery.
1: And then we have Scott on the line, Scott, how you doing, buddy? Good.
0: How are you? This is great to be here. Thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, where, where are you located right now? Uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado. That's your home base, right? Yeah, that's
0: that's where that's where, I, uh, that's where I, I write and have a house and, I'm, and a sauna and all that stuff.
1: It's a good place to to do some ice baths in the wintertime, right and roll in the snow. It's a great place to
0: roll in the snow, um, but actually jumping in ice water in Denver is terrible because of city ordinances that make it illegal to do that. Yeah, I know. It's something I've been talking to the city council about to no great effect.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what happens actually if you jump into uh, a frozen lake in the middle of winter? What would they do to you if you got caught? You know, that's a
0: really good question. I doubt anything serious. It's just more the specter of, you know, breaking the law and, and that stuff. I and mean, what are they going to do, arrest you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably nothing, but it's more the fact that you're not allowed to do it.
1: Well, the thing is, is maybe some kids could see you and then want to do it themselves without you know, parental guidance and that could be dangerous for sure. But, you know, some, some well-minded adults wanted to do it. I, when I go back home for the holidays, I go to Missouri and we go, mm-hmm. my parents live right next to a lake and we go down and break the ice and do a little Christmas ice bath, which is pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, yeah.
2: I, I, actually, maybe something fun to, to know. When I used to go to, to university in Amsterdam, we used to watch a guy with a beard jumping in the lakes of, of the funnel park, which is like a park here in in Amsterdam and we all thought what a crazy guy you know jumping in the middle of the winter in in a, in, a, in a in iced water you know and then uh-huh. like late, 20 years later he's like super famous and his name is Wim Hof
0: <laughs> oh really that is really funny <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah that's... so so noah has quite a bit of experience um, noah's uh, right you, a couple years ago you climbed a mountain with wim in poland
2: yes yeah with with him and, and uh, around 20 20 30 people
1: and then you went skiing with some of the trainers in Andorra, and it, in, I remember in shorts. In shorts. Yeah, we, were,
2: we, we went skiing in shorts and boots, obviously. Yeah. But the, the, the fun thing is, like, we did that in Austria, and it was so much fun, like, with a bunch of people, and the girls were in bikinis and the guy were in shorts. And then we said, "Oh, let's do that again in Andorra." <laughs> in Andorra, we did that, and then the police. Uh, like the ski police came to us and said, look, uh, this is very dangerous. You, you, we have, you have to take you out. And then one of the trainers looked at me and said in Dutch, okay, uh, they can take us out if they catch us.
1: Right. And <laughs> we went <were, like>, down,
2: <laughs> super fast. And uh, at the end of the day, it was a, a blast. But yeah, yeah, I went with, uh, with, uh, with Wim Hof and his team uh, to the mountain and, and to be honest with you, I was scared to death uh, until I saw a, a, a girl with one leg and an old lady, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be a, a pussy and just swallow it and do it. <laughs> so, uh, but it was amazing actually because I thought, oh, it's, it's like almost unhuman, in minus 28 degrees in the snow on on two 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 kilometers height. But yeah, once you do it, you 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 discover actually what's possible with the with breathing.
1: Scott, do you do any any? Uh, you're next to the Rocky Mountains there in Denver. Do you do any? Um... Uh, Skiing or you know, just go and play in the snow in the wintertime or oh, yeah
0: all the time I'm, I'm, you know, I love skiing and and uh, and getting out into the mountains and you know when I was writing the book I would do basically uh, You know workouts in just shorts and shoes uh, You know throughout the entire winter and 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 the summer so getting the the natural variations of both heat and cold Uh, And it's a powerful experience, you know uh, like Noah was mentioning, you know when you first are about to go outside into the you, know, the you know negative ten degrees or negative twenty degrees or whatever it is outside. Uh, your first feeling is this is going to be terrible and I hate life. Um, and, <laughs> and then then you go outside and it's it's like a little nippy um, for the first you know few minutes uh, and then uh, it, it that that feeling of you know anxiety sort of fades away and you realize that your body is. Develop to do this uh, these sort of challenges and it's not a big deal at all,
1: right? well, we want to get to know you Scott because um, uh, What I know of you pre uh, the book with whim uh, you wrote another book about a guy that meditated and I think it was Arizona until he mm-hmm. died right right And uh, so you have an interesting story because what you were doing is exposing these charlatans and gurus who would just say they could do all these amazing things and And uh, which is awesome because, you know, I'd like to talk about that because that there's there's Mm -hmm. quite a few people that that say they have superpowers. And then um, when it really when they get exposed, then it's, you know, they're just full of it. Right. Right. So so tell us, like, how did you get this start into journalism, being an author and and going down that path?
0: So, you know, as an investigative journalist, I have a pretty long career that involves looking at organized crime, uh, looking at. Uh, war zone reporting, um, tech journalism—you know, just a, a pretty broad variety of, of things. Uh, and then, you know, I got into, but I got into this this question of like false gurus, um, because of an experience I had about mm, at this point about twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, uh, when I was I was leading this abroad program for American college students throughout North India. Um, at, I had just finished a graduate program in anthropology, and I was sort of. You know, finding my way in the world by leading these abroad programs, and I, I was on this program called From Brahma to Buddha. So these are two, you know, deities in, in South Asia, mm-hmm. uh, Hindu and Hindu and and Buddhist, uh, where we went to all the holy sites uh, throughout North India, and we ended up doing this ten day silent meditation retreat in the Tibetan tradition. Uh, where where you're meditating on enlightenment, on nirvana, on bliss, compassion, all of the you know all of these things, and at the end of that retreat, um, my best and brightest student climbs up to the roof of the meditation center where we were staying, uh, and uh, jumps off the roof to her death, mm-hmm. and and I spend the next wow week or so you know getting her body back to uh, the united states but also trying to investigate why she took her own life and you know what i discovered you know by reading her journal and doing some you know other um research in the area is that she had gotten to this idea that she was enlightened and that she was what she said called a bodhisattva which is essentially a buddhist angel where, where all she needed to do was leave her body. And then she would sort of attain this very positive, uh, experience. And, and this was probably the foundational moment in my life. I was like a 20, Five year old kid at this point, um, you know, suddenly dealing with this really horrific incident that emerged because of a positive pursuit. You know, we think of suicide as like a negative pursuit, like you're depressed or whatever, but she killed herself because she wanted something more. And then I found all of these cases of people throughout India and, and other parts of the world who are seeking these. Um, transcendent experiences, who end up going crazy, who end up dying, who end up giving their fortunes to gurus who say that they can offer them these these powers, uh, and it's a, it's a real problem in the world. Mm-hmm. And and when I came across Wim, well, so so, so then I wrote this book. It's called The Enlightenment Trap, and I really get very deep into why we want superpowers, of what the what the underlying drive is for that, and I think Americans are especially. Susceptible to the, these ideologies because we grow up with narratives of like Jedi's and you know you do you do hard work and then you can achieve great things and, and it's only one step further to think that you can do things that are impossible and uh, and you know that's the American dream right work hard and get, get great results and I yeah. think that that when when that casts over to spirituality you can you can get into very dangerous situations and I've seen it happen over and over again so then when I heard about Wim Hof who's this Dutch guy who's sitting on an iceberg somewhere north of the Arctic Circle. You know, the first photo I saw of him was, was him doing this. And I thought, oh man, this guy's gonna get people killed because he was saying that he could, anyone could do this thing that looks deadly. And that in doing so they could um, have really miraculous evol- uh, results like controlling their immune system, controlling their, the, the parts of their biology which are unconscious. And I thought this was gonna be, one, I thought it was very appealing. And two, I thought it was incredibly dangerous and irresponsible. Damn. And uh, and incidentally, uh, and this is sort of a side note: the actual thing that he is doing—the um, sitting in the ice—is something that Tibetan monks have been doing for thousands of years, um, and, and it's considered a minor uh, miracle in the in, in the Sanskrit, it's called a siddhi. and it's 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 in a list of minor miracles that you're able to perform if you do yoga perfectly. And so I was particularly. Um, skeptical about him because I thought that he was um, saying something which is basically impossible and connects to this sort of like yogic Buddhist stuff. Uh, so when I flew out to, to meet Wim, I'd been living in Los Angeles, you know, a warm weather guy through and through. Um, I When I flew out to meet Wim, uh, it, 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 we drop off in Poland and this is the middle of the Polish winter. It's the, the winter that stops the Nazi army. It's freaking freezing. Mm-hmm. And and I meet him, and you know I'm on this assignment for Playboy magazine, uh, you know, basically to debunk him. And I meet him, and and you know he's this, sh- you know, shortish guy, ruddy hair, you know, ruddy nose, red skin, smells bad, and he's wearing a green pointy hat that makes him look like a garden gnome. And I'm like, oh, he's just another crazy guy. <laughs> what an easy job um, this will be. And at this point, Wim is a virtual unknown in the world. He is, um, this is the first organized training session that he's ever done. Uh, If you look at him nowadays, he's got like, um, I mean, Noah did a a lot more recently than me, Um, but you know, we're talking, he, he pushes through like 400 people in a winter now at these same camps. At this point, there were three people, me and two other dudes, one guy from Croatia, one guy from Latvia. And we go out to Poland, Uh, sorry, we go out to his, his uh, farmhouse in the, in the um, Prasheka mountains and it's this dilapidated farmhouse, creaky boards. There's a coal furnace um, that's literally belching up like coal dust and, uh, and it's brutally freezing in there because it doesn't work very well. And uh, I get upstairs, I look out the window and, I, I sort of ditch my bag and I look out into this sort of frozen field behind his house, and there's this dude throwing ice on his chest in the skivvies outside, and there's steam coming up off of his body. And I am just flabbergasted. I'm like, this is super weird. Like <laughs> why you know, and my my you know, not only is it weird that there's steam coming off him and this guy looks reasonably comfortable outside there in the winter in nothing, but also I'm like, well, why would somebody really want to do that? That looks painful and horrible and all those things. Uh and you know I'm at this crux point as a journalist. You know, um you know I'm there for a week and I have two options, right? I can either participate in his crazy um uh training programs or I can try to observe as an outsider uh and just try to see what, what people go through. And uh at that night I'm hanging out with Wim and we're playing a game of chess and he starts telling me, he's like, Scott, you must do this. Um you know, I, I, I want to show you that this is real. And there was just something about how passionate Wim was, even though he's crazy, even though he's talking half the time in parables and uh, outlandish, egotistical um, overhyping of himself. Like he's saying things like I'm going to win the the Nobel prize and I'm going to win the war on bacteria and I'm going to save the world and all of these crazy things that have nothing to do with ice baths incidentally. And, and I'm like, and, and so that part of me like has all these like red lights flashing, like this guy's crazy, and he's dangerous. On the other hand, there is something so genuine about him that I think to myself, well, what's the worst that can happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. I can get a little cold, maybe I'll get frostbite. Wor- worst thing that happen is I lose a toe, that's what I was figuring. And I, th- and, and I said, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. And over the course of just, I mean, literally just a week, um, I see my entire physiology transform. Uh, and you know the, the first thing that he does, and the first thing that opens most people, people's eyes when they do this method, um, is uh, in his breathing protocols, you learn to hold your breath for exceedingly long periods of time. Uh, and essentially what you do is you hyperventilate and then you hold your breath with no air with, with on an exhale and then you hyperventilate and and hold your breath on an exhale. and You do that a bunch of times. And, and after several reps, I found that I could hold my breath pretty close to three minutes, uh, on empty lungs. And to me, that was startling. It was like, I'd never done anything even close to that before in my life. And, and then after doing that for, I think we did that for an hour, he says, okay, now, um, do the breathing. Exhale, and instead of just holding your breath, I want you to hold your breath and do push ups. And at this point, I knew I could do about 20 push ups normally. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm by no means an athlete, by no means exceptional in any way. 20 is not that much, but that's what I could do. Uh, and so I, I, I'm holding my breath, I, I do the breathing, and I do 40 push ups, and they feel easy when I do it. And this is that moment where I feel, oh my God, this guy really has something. And I don't know exactly what it is. But he's got this method, which is eye-opening, which is surprising, and which really does tweak the way the body works. Uh, and the next thing you do is you go stand out in the snow, and that's really at the at the heart of it. What Wim Hof method is? It's breathing, um, standing in cold uh, areas, and then there's a, a little bit of mindset that goes with it as well. And when we're standing in the snow, the first thing that you do is you you go out there in the cold, and it hurts like hell, right? You're standing in this you know, you've probably never stood in snow before in your life. You know, if you're a normal Western person, uh, and, and I experience just burning pain, like I'm on coals and it's horrible. And I last five minutes before I can't tolerate it anymore. And then I run into a sauna that he has set up and then it hurts even more again, because now there's that cold, there's that warm blood going through these cold feet. And I'm like, this method sucks.
1: Uh. <laughs>
0: and you know, and Wim just sort of just looks at me. He's like, yep, That is what happens, Uh, you know, but don't worry, tomorrow will be better. And uh, surprisingly over the next few days, you know, we're doing essentially the same thing. It's breathing in the mornings and there's some cold exposure, breathing in the mornings and cold exposure. Uh, But the next day, instead of lasting um, five minutes, I last 10 minutes. And the day after that, I last like a half hour. And by the end of this week, I'm, you know, we're, we're we're jumping into ice water, then and then meditating on the banks of this snowy pond river area, and I'm melting snow around me with my body. heat. And it's, it's just bizarre how quickly um, your body transforms. And you find that these, these areas that are supposed to be very stressful, become very comfortable very quickly. Uh, and then like, everyone else. And like what Noah has, has just described as well. Um, we climb up the, uh, the mountain. There's this mountain called Mount Shnezka, which is a ski resort. Uh, and it's about two degrees Fahrenheit on this mountain. It takes us eight hours to get to the top from the bottom and I'm basically hot the entire time until I get to the top of the mountain. Wow. And, uh, and it's just not something that I'd ever thought that my body could do before or had the, Um, ability to do, or even desire to do, if you want to be totally honest. And, um, and then, you know, you're, you're pushing yourself into this, this entirely new territory. And at this point, I knew the Wim Hof method worked. I knew it did amazing things and I wanted to know why. And this is really, this first experience is really what set up the next six years of my life, examining what was behind the Wim Hof method. And if we go back to the, what I was saying in the very beginning, is this sort of magical energy that comes down from a Buddhist or pranic or yogic what, super numinal place, or is this, is this an evolutionary power that we have ordinaries or are there biological explanations? And I spend the next six years examining this question and, and, you know, uh, you know, just so I can give it away for your readers, so they they know where i 'm coming from is that this is not a superpower, right These are not magical things; these are just things that we have innate in us evolutionarily that we are able to access um, if we uh, expose ourselves to environments and what I you know sort of discovered and and understood is that you know if you think about our species, we go back about three hundred thousand years. Uh, and in that time, we are dealing with constantly varying temperatures, uh, constantly varying environments. Uh, our, our our biology was is the thing that allowed uh, allowed us to inhabit those varying um, environments. Uh, but if you fast forward to the modern world, we no longer have varying environments. We are, or we what we do is we control our environment at the touch of a button on our wall. You know. Uh, tweak a thermostat, tweak our lighting. Uh, We can put, if we want to go outside, we, we don polar uh, outfits or whatever. Meanwhile, our ancestors had just skins and some, some shoddy footwear and maybe some fire here and there. Um, We have essentially factored out variation from our biology and that has made us weak. And that's why these things that look like superpowers are actually not. They're just things that we've forgotten to use. Kind of a muscle, no? like,
2: someone with a belly who looks like a six to a six-pack he will think oh, it's also out of the space
1: mm-hmm. yeah yes. i remember like i read a lot of books on native americans and i i know at your tedx talk scott um, you talk about Native Americans, and they would approach the pilgrims and um, have on, you know, buckskins and a breechcloth. And the pilgrims, of course, are, you know, have a bunch of clothes on because it's freezing cold outside. But but it was typical for, for Native Americans to go hunting in the middle of dead winter when it's freezing cold with very little uh, clothes on. But they were just used to it. They would take baths into ice rivers, you know, and, and their bodies would adjust. They would actually put their children out. The Algonquin Indians—that's this group that
0: you're you're talking about. the, the, the ones that the Pilgrims first met. Mm-hmm. They would actually put their children in the snow. You know, their infants in the snow for five or ten minutes every snowy day, wow. and then bring them back into their warm houses. Pilgrims met them, the the first time. The Pilgrims were like astounded by their resilience, and the and the Algonquin were like w- whatever wusses, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, the, the Russians also do it actually.
1: Every circumpolar group in the world, yeah.
2: If we were, for just born babies, they, they, they put them in ice water for a couple of seconds.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. That's impressive. To, to um, boost
2: their immune system or something. And, then, and Scott, did you, did you had also, like, I remember when, when I did, like, stop my breathing and had to hold my breath, like, mm-hmm. after two minutes or, or, or three minutes, I thought, well, I, maybe I should start breathing or I might damage my brain or something. Uh-huh, did you have right. that too?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's several times when I've been into a place where I've um, pushed it really, really far and you can actually get to a, to a place with the Wim Hof breathing um, where you actually turn off the breath reflex entirely. Uh, You know, at first, you know, you hyperventilate, you hold your breath and you, you take a breath when it, you know, you you reach that stress point that you get that sort of gasping reflex. Um, But if you do the Wim Hof method long enough, Uh, and I I don't mean long enough as in terms of training, but I actually just mean you do it for like an hour straight or something like that. Uh, You can get to a point where you actually break your gasp reflex temporarily, uh, and and you can just feel comfortable until you gently pass out uh, of asphyxiation and then wake up a little bit later. Uh, not necessarily the best technique to do. So there's there's certain things in the Wim Hof method that you really want to be able want to watch uh, and to be sure that you're not pushing it too far. Because like any technique, um, you know there are limits to it, and sometimes you don't even notice those limits are coming up.
1: Can that be dangerous? I mean, w- what could happen if somebody pushes himself too much doing the breathing?
0: We don't know uh, is, the, is the short answer. And the long answer is, is uh, we really don't know. There have been no cases that I am aware of, of people having strokes or cardiac arrest from the Wim Hof breathing, which does not mean it's impossible. It's just I'm not aware of those, those dangers. Um, what we think happens is what we've seen happen is that if you push it too far and we're just talking the breathing in a laying down position, uh, on the floor, because obviously, if you're standing, you might pass out and hit your head or something like that. Um, but if you're doing it properly, uh, you you if you if you skip your gasp reflex, eventually your brain will just shut off and you'll just pass out. And then you'll you'll and when you pass out, uh, a different set of circuitry comes in, and then you'll take a breath automatically. Um, you won't have control over that; it will just occur. Um, and so, when you're in a normal, safe location, everything that we have seen. Uh, has been yeah everyone's been fine. However, I will say that that um, several people have died doing the Wim Hof method by mixing this with uh, some sort of amateur uh, uh, rendition of free diving. So yes. in that case, you'll do this hyperventilation. Even in bath, there was even one in bath.
2: In the bath yeah. mm-hmm.
0: Anytime you do it with water, it's super dangerous uh, actually, uh, and uh, which is unfortunate because sometimes when you look at the Wim Hof um, sort of like image. He's often in water, because obviously it's also about immersing yourself in, in ice water. And sometimes he's swimming underwater, holding his breath. So there is this impression that you're supposed to mix the two. Uh, and the truth is you absolutely should never go underwater underwater while holding your breath, doing the Wim Hof breathing. Because what happens is you, get to the, you, you can trick your gasp reflex so that you don't know when you're getting to that point where you have to take a breath. And then the people will automatically gasp underwater and have what they call shallow water blackout. And as, as I'm aware, we have, we're talking about five people who died doing that with the Wim Hof
1: method. Scott, can you give us uh, or just give the listeners a, a brief explanation of the the regular cycle of breathing, like the 30 30- 30 breaths three times and how if they want to practice it at home how it goes sure uh and
0: you know you can look on youtube or you know there's a million places to, to look on, on how to do that if you are currently driving a car do not do this <laughs> because you're gonna crash what you do is is so you lie down um in a comfortable place on a yoga mat i do it in my bed every morning you know before i'm even out of bed this is when i do it um i do it with my wife and and you you close your eyes and you just start breathing rapidly. And there's a lot of different breathing patterns that Wim has taught over the years, but basically deep controlled belly breaths is the way to go. And it's about this pace. Do it about that pace, get a little dizzy, Um, close your eyes if you're seeing stuff behind your eyes, go into that and try to turn off your brain as much as possible, minor meditation stuff, third eye breathing. and then after 30 breaths, when you're good and dizzy, um, exhale—not um, so it's painful, but just you know, normal exhale—and hold your breath and do that and hold as long as you can. And you know, sometimes I feel again a different type of tingly at this point, maybe a little bit of itchy, um, and you know, you feel this sort of like energy running through your body. And then at the end of that breath hold, and the first time, at the first breath hold, I usually say aim for about a minute. Uh, then you take a, 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 a very shallow inhale, just it's a, a, basically a recovery breath. Hold that for about ten seconds, and then repeat the process entirely. So then you go right back into hyperventilation, hyperventilate for another uh, you know minute or so, thirty breaths, forty breaths. Uh, exhale, hold your breath, and then repeat a third time. And and your breath holds should typically increase uh, over the breath holds. So my, in general, for me, it's a one minute a two-minute and then a three-minute breath hold. Uh, and then at the end of that, uh, you do one more round of breathing and then you do push-ups while holding your breath. And and that is the essentially the cycle that, uh, that I do every morning. And I throw in some other things. I do like a headstand and stuff like that um, uh, at the end of it. But that's essentially all you need to do as at the very, very basic level of the Wim Hof Method. Um, the, the And then, After that, when you're taking a shower later in the day, uh, you turn the shower after washing yourself in hot, you turn it all the way to cold, and then you sit under that cold shower, and it's very, very important that you relax in this environment. And so when the cold is on you, instead of doing what you naturally wanna do, which is clench every muscle in your body and just say, I can make it through this and sort of grit your way through the cold, what you do is you relax and say, it's gonna be all right, and I'm gonna try to feel comfortable in this water. And when you do that, um, you are basically mastering um, your autonomic nervous system's natural reaction to clench. And you're going from a sympathetic state, which is your fight or flight state, uh, into a parasympathetic state in the presence of a stress. Uh, And, uh, you know, that is really interesting and really life changing.
1: Can you tell the listeners directly what the benefits and the purpose are of both those? So the breathing separately from the ice bath or the cold shower?
0: Well, what you're trying to do in both of them is gain control over your autonomic nervous system. So your nervous system has has essentially two parts. So there's the stuff that you can do consciously and the stuff that um, happens automatically. So consciously breathing, um, moving your eyes around, moving your muscles, that's all this conscious part of your nervous system. The autonomic nervous system, which is the other side, the unconscious nervous system, that's like your heart beating, your digestion, um, the the, the the pulsing of your veins, uh, uh, the excretion of adrenaline and norepinephrine and these sorts of things. This is um, your autonomic nervous system. But we do have a few things that are shared between those two systems. Uh, and for instance, breathing is one of the big ones where if you, you know, stop thinking about breathing, uh, you will continue to breathe. But at any moment, you can go ratchet control over that. Now, with the Wim Hof method, what we're trying to do is put more of your systems under that shared control state, uh, where you can now control, for instance, adrenal release, so that 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 experience you have when you're running from a tiger, uh, or you know, looking at a great height, or whatever it is that that makes you really amps you up, you can gain a certain measure of control over that firing or not firing, uh, and and by expressing this control in your biology, you actually gain control of the way you feel stress in the world, the way you, um, you feel comfortable in varied environments. You actually gain control of some of the the underlying um, physiological processes that kickstart autoimmune illnesses such as Crohn's disease or rheumatoid arthritis. You actually gain control of the things that initiate those in your body that you don't have control over. And that's really what the the aim of of the Wim Hof method is. It's trying to delve deeper and expand your control of your own physiology. So,
2: and Scott, like imagine I have a certain disease. Imagine I'm a listener and I have arthritis or, um, Mm -hmm. Like how, how, is it a possibility to heal these diseases or they will just, is it only relieving the pain or? Mm
0: -hmm. So it's, it's one of those questions where we have to hedge a little bit outside of what has been able to be studied by, you know, large scale randomized controlled uh, clinical trial. So. If you want to cure cancer, cure arthritis, cure lupus, or cure whatever, um, there's a lot more claims made uh, from the Wim Hof method side than there is hardcore scientific data to back up each and every one of those claims. Um, what I can say, however, is having met many, many, many people who do the Wim Hof method, uh, is that. Uh, I have seen people who've, who, whose lived experience is that they had Parkinson's, and now their Parkinson's is way more manageable. I've seen people who have had rheumatoid arthritis, where their their joints were were blown up to grapes and plum size, that are now totally manageable. I've seen I I, I know people who have had lupus, who have had those things reversed, and Crohn's disease who have had those things reversed, um, but we don't have. You know, no one's going to going to invest a billion dollars for a, a large scale clinical trial to really study all these effects. So we're, we are in one of these limbo spaces where the Wim Hof method will likely always be on the fringes uh, because that gold standard, I mean, you can't make a billion dollars off of ice baths, no matter how hard you try. You cannot make a no, billion dollars no, yes. off of breathing; It's free. It's, it's essentially free. Um, but... I will say that there is some very astounding science that is out there that makes us, th- which gives good evidence that, that Wim Hof Method is accessing uh, certain command and control structures that we did not think that were able to access um, before the Wim Hof Method you know, was, was studied. And the most interesting of these is something called the, uh, um, the endotoxin study. And so the week after I met Wim in Poland in 2011, uh, Radbound University, which is a, a pretty well-known university in, in Holland, um, uh, sent 12, uh, Dutch college students to do the Wim Hof method, uh, and, you know, a, and learn it while under sort of clinical supervision. Uh, they also had a control group that was not doing the Wim Hof method. And what they were studying was if you in, in, inject somebody with this, dead bacteria called endotoxin. Um, in a normal a normal, healthy individual who's do, doing none of this stuff, you inject in them, and then their immune system will fire rapidly. It will give you a fever, will give you chills, will give you achy bones, it will feel like you have the flu until your body realizes that the toxin is not actually toxic and then it says, okay, it's fine and it turns off the alarm bells and you go back to normal. Uh, what Wim claimed is that he could, he and his students could have no inter, um, uh, autonomic response if someone injected them with endotoxin, which meant that he would be able to turn off um, autonomic systems and and essentially extend conscious control over autonomic systems if, if they injected with endotoxin. And what happened is that these 12 students did the same exact training program that I did uh, and that you did, uh, Noah, um, where it was just the breathing and then you climbed up a mountain and you, you dunked yourself in ice water. They came back, they injected all these people with endotoxin and they had no significant physiological reaction to the bug, uh, which is unheard of. Like it is absolutely astounding that this happened because it wasn't just one genetic freak like Wim Hof being injected with endotoxin. These were just people who casually trained in this for a week who were able to turn off their immune system, which has... Yes enormous implications for anyone with any sort of autoimmune illness, including lupus, Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, you go right down, you know, right down the list. All of those could be affected and controlled or at least managed by the Wim Hof method. And I, and to give you one more piece of now anecdotal evidence outside of that paper um, is that, Personally, since I was a kid, I struggled with canker sores, which are these mouth ulcers that show up in my mouth uh, that get to about the size of an American dime. Um, So pretty big, pretty painful. I've gotten them since I was uh, a baby. You know, it probably started as a herpes virus. I don't know where I got that. Um, And then, you know, it it would just, I'd have these, every two weeks, I'd have this really large mouth ulcer, which would make it hard to speak, hard to talk, hard to move, Um, that sort of thing. After doing the Wim Hof method, I have gotten one mouth ulcer since I started doing this method Um, and I would get them every two. I was thinking of myself as like a Mm -hmm. wimp, like a canker sore survivor, you know, (laughs) I I had like, like, it was really painful. I mean, it's not obviously nearly as bad as Crohn's disease or any of these other illnesses, but for me, I know for sure that the Wim Hof method has stopped that. Um, And if I feel one starting in my mouth, um, I do the Wim Hof method and it never really appears. So it's been amazing.
2: Amazing. So, so actually, that happens also to me with with a with a chronic type of back pain, and and I did it, and within five days, and I've tried to get it away for two years, and then mm-hmm. within five days, like it it went and it never came back, and as and only in periods of long sitting, you know, then I start feeling it again, and then I just do the breathing and some extra ice mm-hmm. bath, and indeed goes away. Yes. But Scott, I, my question to you, like, is, and and I have that question for many people. Uh, they told me. Look, Wim Hof have 28 or 29 uh, world records, Guinness world records. Do you think it's possible if someone trained himself consistently for a longer period of time to be able to to break one of these records? Or is Wim Hof, like he developed it in such a way that he benefit from it, obviously in, in a very, in a very mm-hmm. uh, good way but is it copyable to that level of, uh, pro, like, of, of proficiency?
0: Yeah, well, WIM has, I think, 20, is it 29 Guinness Book World Records? It, it's some yeah, pretty large number. And some of them are quite impressive, which is getting pretty high on Mount Everest without a, you know, in, in almost no clothes uh, and um, doing pretty long swims underwater and and, and running a, a marathon in the Sahara, There are three really big ones, but there's also a lot of his records, which are pretty boring, like getting the most, the, the biggest number of people to walk on an ice rink um, without shoes on. <laughs> I mean, should, <laughs> no, okay, great. Yeah. You can, that, that's no problem. Just <laughs> get more people. Um, so, uh, I, but you know, the, the real, the heart of your question is, is Wim a superhuman or, or is he just another guy who, who, who like, is it copy, how easy is it copyable? Or is he he a freak of nature or is it copyable? No, I think he's a freak, but I don't think he's a freak of nature. I I think that Wim, the the things that he's done has been very impressive. I find him like a really inspiring and wonderful person, but I do not think he's out of the ordinary. And I think it's a very, very bad idea to put him as a person up on a pedestal and say, look, it is my guru. It is my perfect person and 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 he is the 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 model for which I will model my life no that's totally bullshit um Wim Hof is a is a is a madman and a prophet at the same time and and I think that lots of people do more interesting athletic things than Wim all the time uh and there's even a guy in China who has a longer ice bath than he does Who's not very, who's not talked about very much, but there's a Chinese Wim Hof who's out there does the same basic stuff, (laughs) Uh, and, 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 and the goal should really be, you know, give as like a ton of respect to Wim for what he has shown us, but do not hold this man on a pedestal. Like, and in fact, if we do that, we're just going down the same rabbit hole that I went when I began this whole journey, and we get to cult. Culty, insane stuff because Wim talks a lot of insane things, right? He's not actually a, a, a role model. Um, he is somebody who is exceptional and just as flawed as any single one of us, you know, myself included, yourself included. Every one of us is a, you know, has our our our, our big weaknesses, and Wim absolutely does. Uh, and what but what what I think he has done is is and it took someone who was sort of crazy in the first place to open up this um, knowledge base for us. And I think we should be really grateful for that, but then we should learn the Wim Hof method and then we should take it in our own direction.
2: Okay, okay, thank you uh, for that. Well, um, also, a lot of people, like I've, I've done a lot of research about how to raise your uh, testosterone naturally and, and there's a lot of you know, people who, who, who says, yeah, you can, you can use it for food, through meditation, for, mm-hmm. Through sports, but actually also through through ice baths, through cold exposure. To mm-hmm. do, do what? What's your opinion on that?
0: On testosterone, and specifically, um,
2: well, yeah, like like getting more energy, and and usually with that comes a higher level of free testosterone at least mm-hmm. in your body. So my view, Tim, Tim Ferriss, Tim
0: Ferriss wrote a lot about that uh, in his for hour mm-hmm. uh, body. Sure. My feeling, uh, and I think I'm an ab, uh, sort of an abnormal person in the sort of uh, biohacking space, is that I don't really care what's going on on a hormonal level um, with my own performance. I don't track, I, I track almost nothing uh, when I do myself. I don't do a lot of blood tests or anything of that nature. What my question when I go into a new practice is how does it make me feel And if I feel better, then I don't care if it's because I have more testosterone or less testosterone or that stuff is all just a, a relative measure and doesn't necessarily affect my, my, you know, I don't think to myself, I really wish I had more testosterone right now. I think to myself, I want more energy. I want to feel happier right now. And, and I'll say from my personal experience, I always feel awesome when I get out of an ice bath. I always feel great when I get out of a sauna mm-hmm. and, and, and these are the measures that I care about. And, you know, we look at what we we're, we're trying to do something with data where we say, look, this stuff is really valid because look at that data. Look at that, that, that blood level that changed with me. Look, I'm in ketosis now. Look, I'm in, you know, whatever. I'm, 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 I'm burning fat instead of sugars. Like personally, I don't care about any of that. I just want to live a healthy life and feel good. And I can tell you that the Wim Hof Method makes me feel good and it makes my the, the autoimmune illnesses that I had go away. And the what's, what's actually going on under the hood, I don't think that a lot of us really understand it anyway. I think that we just sort of fetishize certain numbers and certain... Um, ideas. And I'll tell you what, in 20 years, we're going to be looking at entirely different markers and say they didn't even get it back in, the tw- you know, in 2019. Um, we really understand it now, and it has to do with our taurine levels, and it has to do with the way you process glyphosate or whatever it is that we're, g- we're going to be looking at in the
2: future. Yeah, this is the same as 20 years ago, you know, they were looking at the wrong variables.
1: Mm-hmm. Even yeah. 10 years ago. I mean, really like it, the way that health and science move these days, every year, there's something new that's hyped up about a new food, a new superfood or uh new neuroscience that's happening, you know, which is really exciting to see. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think you're right, Scott. Like I feel the same. I I when I come out of an ice bath, I feel great, but I don't always feel so good going into the ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little scary, am I? You are saying actually after a few of them, you get used to it. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, Scott, I'm curious how how long and often are you doing the breathing and cold baths now? Because mm-hmm. you started this this back in 2011, right?
0: 2011, yeah. So I do the breathing every morning with my wife, uh, unless something comes up where I can't do it, such as I'm traveling or or, or whatever. But, you know, probably 300 days out of the year, I do the breathing um, in the first hour uh, that I'm awake. Um, And then I do a cold shower every day, or at least finish cold for at least a minute every day. And in Colorado, that's pretty good because our water gets pretty cold, about 50. Uh, I do not do ice baths all the time because they're just logistically difficult. Yeah. Um, anytime a friend of mine has an ice bath going, I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to jump in. But I don't want to be the guy. I don't want to like have an ice machine and a cow trough and all the accoutrements.
1: Noah has one. <laughs> He's got that's, a deep freezer in his apartment. <laughs>
0: that, that's great. And I want to go visit Noah. Um, but I don't want to... more make... than welcome, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I don't want to do it myself. I'm, I, I, I feel like you know, really the heart of the Wim Hof method, part of what I learned of the Wim Hof method is not that it's about cold. It's not about ice water. What it's really about is getting in touch with the environment and getting in touch with your mind and your reactions to stress. And so I think ice is a really great teacher, but it's, not the only teacher at all you can also look at heat you can look at fear you can look at um, sensory deprivation you can you can look at anything which triggers an autonomic response in your body and then accentuate uh, or reverse the your reactions to that environmental stress and this is the concept that i talked about called the wedge in the book and i'm actually working on a sequel to to what doesn't kill us right now called the wedge which will be out okay. in the future sometime
1: okay. okay
0: but so the idea is is that you know, it's about your mental relationship to your nerve impulses that come in. And, and with Wim Hof, he gives you ice water and then you have a normal reaction to ice water, which is clenching up and resisting the ice water. And then what you're supposed to do in the Wim Hof Method is relax and let the ice water into you and you realize that it's not so bad. And you're teaching your, your not only your brain on this on an intellectual level, you're teaching your nervous system uh, that it's not so bad. You're teaching the very low parts of your brain that it's not so bad. And if we take this same basic concept to basically anything else, anything else that triggers you, uh, um, And and triggers an automatic response. So, for instance, a fear of heights, right? A fear, a fear of heights is like you look down and you 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 just lose all strength. But if you expose yourself to heights more and more, you realize that it's not the height that's dangerous, and that you can actually, you know, um, that that spike of adrenaline that you get in there, you can actually suppress it and say actually it's okay. And then you can work up to doing you know crazy things like jumping out of an airplane or whatever. Um, And and when you do these exposure therapies, uh, you actually gain control over autonomic processes and you expand your abilities to interact in many, many different environments. So the next book, I'm looking at fear, I'm looking at heat, I'm looking at, again, sensory deprivation, and I'm looking at the way psychedelics uh, uh, affect your body and, and how they change sensory pathways, which which is really like an exposure therapy like it changes the way your sensory pathways interpret information and then you have to get put your mind in there and say okay I'm going to modulate this this inner world
2: but cold does have a kind, uh, very specific anti-inflammatory uh, like effect totally. and, and and I know a lot of top athletes who, who use it as a daily regime in sure. their in their training uh, sure. and, but you're, you're saying no it, it does not matter as long as it's gives you the fight-or-flight uh, mechanism can you no,
0: elaborate no, i think what i'm saying here is that all of the environmental inputs out there train your your mind's ability to take control of unconscious processes and every single stress that you put on it trains different parts of your body so cold you're right trains anti-inflammatory stuff it does it does a, a, a it increases metabolism it, it it sends the stimulus to your body to build a tissue in your body called brown fat, brown adipose tissue. So that's all great. That's all there. But it's, if you just do cold baths and you, you live in an environment of just cold baths, um, you become adapted really well to cold, but that may not be to other things, right? You may not be able to, for instance, deal with heat too well. You may not be able to, for instance, deal with other things. The real key is, is variability in environments and exposing yourself to a wide variety of stimuli that make you in general more robust. Um, So cold specifically has lots of advantages, but so too does fear. So too does meditation. So too does anything where you can insert your mind uh, as a wedge in between the autonomic response and the environment.
1: Scott, I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, your time before Wim Hof, when you were exposing some, some charlatans and gurus, and uh, I'm curious who, who are some of the people uh, you know, actually, one that's come up for me, because I, I spend quite a bit of time in Brazil, is John de Dios, a John of God. I don't know if you've heard of him. And apparently could heal people from the other side of the planet. And all of a sudden, now he's he's been exposed that he was uh, having sex with his daughters. And I think it's up to almost a hundred or more, uh, minors throughout that process. And, and I think took advantage of his followers as well. And and that's the thing we want to avoid because, you know, we want people like Wim that are sincere, that are really finding the science behind it. Um, but things that are scary are people like John of God that do crap like that. And then it, you know, then it all goes out the window. Who were who were some of the tell us about the experience of some of the people that you exposed or found out or wrote about in, in your earlier days?
0: Well, there's tons of them. Um the, the book was specifically about a man named Michael Roach, um, who was a who still is a popular Tibetan Buddhist guru, um, who is a white guy who basically donned some Tibetan robes and studied with Tibetan mon you know, Tibetans in Tibet. Actually, I think he studied in, in India with them. Uh, and then he uh, came back to America, said he was enlightened, and he got a huge flock of people. And what, what he essentially did was mix Tibetan Buddhism and the Tibetan um, tantric meditation techniques, and he mixed it with the Christian gospel of prosperity. So the gospel of prosperity is if God loves you, he's going to make you rich. <laughs> Your wealth is a sign of how favored by God you are. Uh and you mix that with a little Tibetan Buddhism, and uh, and which is like, you can get superpowers if you meditate real hard. Um, he has this philosophy, which is a total bastardization of everything, <laughs> uh, which is that, you know, if you just, if you manifest it in the world, it will come true. And and if you just meditate harder, you know, he, he, it will become true and then you can do anything you want. So he, like John of God, like um, many, many sadguru, like, uh, Jonestown. I mean, there were sex uh, allegations, and there were all these these uh, issues with them. And and here, and and there's a, there's a, a couple of really interesting things to think about with these people. One, and I think this is, should be a rule uh, that that we all take to heart, is that if you meet somebody who is enlightened, if you meet somebody who says that they know, know God in some way, uh, I think you should say invariably they are insane. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. Is that if they say that they're getting uh, undisputed truth and they have like the the hook into into the ultimate knowledge. these people are by definition crazy and probably do not have a connection to that 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 being or 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 that knowledge or whatever it is because once you get to that point where you think that everything you do is right you and you become infallible. what happens is you get very stuck in your ways and you're not open to um, criticism or, or other ideas and we can also know uh, we can empirically verify that if you get eight people who are enlightened in a room they do not agree on fucking anything
1: <laughs> so true there is no
0: ultimate truth and if you think about enlightenment and this is when i write about uh the enlighten in my book the enlightenment trap when uh, when we think about enlightenment in the Indic traditions, in the Indian traditions, uh, you could think of it as a stop point, like when you attain enlightenment, or it is something you're trying to achieve, It's you're trying to get enlightened. And really all of the Rishis who are important um, are the ones who are trying to get enlightened. Enlightenment is a process which you will never complete. And if you completed it, there's the that's when you go insane, <laughs> or that's when maybe you become a god and you you vanish into to an ether and and I'm very skeptical of anyone who thinks that they're enlightened because what happens is they become very isolated they they and they you know invariably in America whenever you meet somebody who says they're enlightened they're fucking all their students <laughs> you know it is just what uh, what occurs because you 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 suddenly realize that you're the only thing that matters to you is your id and your your lesser drives and then you create a Um, a belief system for other people to rationalize how you're doing this. And you see it over and over and over again. So this is the bad part of that. On the other side, and here's the more complex thing is that oftentimes these people who get to that position uh, often do have very useful knowledge, right? Oftentimes they had a genuine feeling at some point in their life of of uh, a transcendent experience or a technique that changed them. And they earnestly followed it for a, a part of their life and they were seekers. Uh, and when they were seekers, they can actually get impart to other people um, useful knowledge that can improve other people's lives. Like you could be in a cult or a terrible cult, right? And and you can, the, the people who are learning from you at first usually get better. Right. At yeah. first, they're given structure. You know, the first time you meditate, you know, in the first weeks that you're meditating, you have this rapid increase in happiness and productivity and, um, and self-centeredness. Your anxiety goes down um, and then it starts to tail off. You know, you reached this, you, you first go on this exponential curve and then it sort of levels off and then they promise you you'll get to that exponential again. Right. The the leveling off is is only for now, but I'll give you some secret knowledge that will put you on that exponential thing again. The the truth is none of these groups have that second boost for you. Uh, That second boost, there is no real secret knowledge out there that really alters your life forever. Um, And I think with people with the Wim Hof Method, especially at first, you have this huge boost that puts you in a place where you learn so much about your body, you can do so much more. And then there will be a leveling off where Uh, you will be at a healthier place. You have a great maintenance routine. It goes from like enlightening your eyes being like, oh my God, this is amazing to being like, okay, this is pretty cool. And I can keep doing this. And then you can have to continue your search into another tradition and learn some more things that help expand you outwards versus going super deep into the Wim Hof method and going who knows where.
1: Yeah, it's really good. You put it like that and explain it because uh, most people don't. They find their thing or their high they, they get from whatever their new guru or their new group and then they think that's it we found it all and then they, they go and prophesize to other friends and family and their friends and family like you're crazy da 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 um, right? and it happens so often even if it's just like a personal development group or this sort of thing um, but it's like life is a continually a continual learning process and once you find a new great thing practice it for a while and then Go find another great thing, you know, make that part of mate general maintenance on on your life and then go find another great thing I'm I'm specifically curious about the guy that that you I think you wrote about him But somebody meditated until they died or something yes. was it? <laughs> So that, that was there? that was under uh, Michael Roach. So, okay, th- this
0: story is is crazy and it's okay. It's honestly it's too long to go into on this podcast, um, but it, it basically this guy um, follows Michael Roach for uh, a decade or more of his life, uh, and meanwhile Michael Roach is getting more and more famous and and you know writing books about how to meditate your way to great riches. Um, you, have you seen that company out there called Spiritual Gangster? Have you ever seen these these no. people wearing these shirts? It's yeah, it, it's a, it's an oxymoron. Obviously, it's a contradiction. Spiritual gangster, right, 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 but it's also right, a very right. popular brand out there. Michael Roach is sort of behind that brand, and Michael Roach had this thing where he he saw he, he said that you know to to follow love, right? And love opens the way, and that the, and everyone you meet is actually an angel in your life, and that your own reality is the only reality that matters. And He does these really weird things, and at one point he actually he takes a like a 22-year-old college student and makes her his lover, right? He's, and then he realizes that this woman he's you know, having sex with is actually a goddess and he goddesses her. That's a verb now, right. goddess, he goddess somebody. <laughs> and so he makes her a goddess and she's like a 20, you know, she's pretty young and he's pretty old. So there's a big power differential there. Um, but then she starts teaching under him and there's a vying for power between the two of them. And he tries to un her and that doesn't work out well. <laughs> and, then, and then she starts taking other traditions. So she's like, he's sort of in the, mostly in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. She starts borrowing Hindu traditions, particularly violent Hindu traditions that are not incredibly popular, but they are, they exist. And. Um, and she, she takes on this personality of Kali, who's the goddess of death and destruction, uh, and then in this whole, like, as they're breaking up, as Michael Roach and this woman, her name's Lama Christy McNally, as they break up, um, they each take new lovers, and she, and she takes Ian Thorson, who's the guy I wrote the book about, as her lover, okay. and then they do this three-year silent meditation retreat in the mountains of Arizona together, and originally it was supposed to be Lama Christy and Michael Roach meditating together, but now she's got this new lover, and she meditates with her new lover in the mountains and Michael Roach is trying to vie for control of this whole thing. Anyway, it goes nuts. There's a stabbing. There's a meditation, meditating until someone gets killed and dies. Uh, And uh, it's a bizarre tale and I hope you read the book.
1: Yes, I'm gonna download that because that sounds thrilling. (laughs) How long does it take to meditate till you die? Just curious.
0: Well, he actually didn't die from meditation. He died of dysentery. Okay. Um, and what actually what was happening uh, at that point is they were meditating you know they're doing their sign they're not talking anytime here she, he gets very ill and they have a, a personal locator beacon which is basically one of those things where you go hiking and you press the button and they send in the helicopters to go pick you up because uh-huh. um, you're it's an emergency situation and so he's dying next to her and for three days she meditates next to him as he's dying and tries to do like reiki or rub, rub her hands over him or whatever like spiritual juju um, uh-huh. you can do to somebody and he, he turns purple and then he turns green and then he dies and then she presses the personal locator button um <laughs> to, to and that, you know incidentally, too late, too late too late <laughs>
2: oh my god that's a that's a weird way to die it seems painful yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a horrible, horrible um, thing that happened. But what what I found so fascinating about that tale is how you can get wrapped up in one ideology, where that that ideology explains everything in the world around you. And then once that happens, once you become sealed into that, that space, bad things invariably happen, right? You know, (laughs) Uh, And, you know, and that's this is an extreme example, but you've probably met other people in your life who um, who, uh, maybe you, you had a bad day, like maybe you broke up with your girlfriend and lost your job and everything is going horrible. And then someone comes up to you and says, "Oh, I understand. Mercury's in retrograde," and you just want to fucking punch him in the face because <laughs> it has nothing to do with Mercury retrograde. <laughs> um, and 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 this is a term called spiritual bypassing. We can all are, we are all susceptible to to this, where we think that the cause of event is sort of outside the realm of direct understanding, and that we are, um, and that and that if we understand that, then we just totally forget how other how the events actually happen in the world. How come that women more have that more than men? Actually, today? yeah, I don't know. I mean, why are so many Catholic priests diddling little boys? I mean, I don't. Th- I don't think it's a it's a male female thing. Um, I think that um, perhaps yeah. in some culture, in some areas, there is more reinforcing for that sort of thinking. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a female energy. Thing yeah, or, or maybe um, women have less control over their world around them anyway because of inherent sexism, and then they're given to the, and because you have less control, you try to seek control in spiritual. Um, I'm and, just going to, I'm just winging it really here. So yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what I love actually about the Bim Hof group is that a lot of people there are, uh, go-getters, entrepreneurs, uh, mm-hmm. people who want to uh, maximize, maximize, let's say their lives. Um, right. when I tell that to some of my friends that they never went to a Bim Hof session, mm-hmm. uh, they tell me, Oh my God, another thing to add to my daily routine right. i don't know where i'm gonna get the time right. what what's what's your what's your opinion on that like like to if, right. if a listener is now listening and like okay yeah this, this sounds awesome but i don't know if i'm gonna have the time to do it what do you uh, think of
0: that i'm gonna paraphrase the dalai lama on this one um where the the dalai lama was asked essentially the same question which is you know dear dalai lama uh, why I, I don't have time to meditate um 15 minutes a day you know well, how am i supposed to do this and to which he responded to anyone who cannot meditate 15 minutes a day, I really recommend that they meditate an hour a day. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, but I think that, uh, but, but, I mean, in some ways, that's a little facetious. Uh, I think that people need to, to pick and choose what works for them. And if, if they have a, if they have an issue that they're trying to, to deal with, right, in their life, and if there is something causing them pain, discomfort, um, is something that is not working, they have to make choices about how they want to allocate their time. And, and the Wim Hof method, I think anyone can benefit from it if they want to take it as a tool in their toolbox, but it is not the only method out there that might make them feel better and might make them do things. And, and we always have to make choices about what is best for us. I think it is one potential path that um, people should absolutely explore, absolutely try it out. and. Um, but if it doesn't become a thing that you wanna incorporate every day into your life for any number of reasons, you don't have to. You're a free person. <laughs> do what you want. But it's it's an option that's out there. Um, but I think you can get a lot of, you know, people find, uh, you know, I, I, I have great respect for yoga. I don't do yoga on a daily basis, right? I don't go through my my diff- different asanas, you know? Uh, and I would never tell someone to drop their yoga practice and only do my thing. I think that's silly. Um, I think w- I would just suggest to them, here's a cool thing that you can do and maybe you can get something useful out of it.
2: And, and yourself, like personally, how do you apply the Wim Hof methods to get things
0: done? At this point in my life, um, it's more of a mindset. Like I do the Wim Hof method every morning because I think it makes me feel good. I take my cold showers because it makes me feel good. And and I think it, it it creates sort of a warm glow that sort of affects everything I do in the day. But I wouldn't say that it's the it's the key to my success and performance. I think that is from every other uh, impulse that I have in life as well. And and I think the goal is to live as full a life as possible and to pack as many cool experiences into it as you can, and 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 not get too wrapped up in just one thing. And I think the Wim Hof method is really really great. Um, but uh, but it's not the, it's not the whole it's not the whole you know whole pie. It's 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 a one very cool piece of uh, of pie.
1: Do you ever notice, Scott? Like I notice if I don't meditate for a few days or if I don't uh, exercise for a couple of days, I'll start to become a little bit more irritable or cranky yes. or stressed out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you notice that with yourself when practicing the the Hoff method? Are you uh, you like oh I've got to I've got to do my breathing. I've, I've, I'm more yeah. stressed today.
0: Well, I think that you really put your finger on something which is hugely important and much bigger than just just that, which is okay. being mindful about your current state, mm-hmm. right? Saying, look, I don't feel so good right now. In the past, this thing has made me feel better. I will go back and do that thing. And this is actually the heart of mindfulness, is that if you can take a step back and say, um, I am actually not feeling great right now, or I just snapped at that person. Why did I do that? Because on another day, I wouldn't have snapped at that person. Um, that's amazing. Like that shows a certain level of cultivating inner reflectivism, inner, you know, inner insight. And then you could apply a solution to to um, not to that particular problem. You're not applying it to being um, uh, irritable in the moment, you're applying it to a general sense of irritability. And th- that's true mindfulness. That's a really wonderful thing. And I think the Wim Hof Method is an intervention to help you um, write a state. But what you're actually talking about is noticing where you are right now and saying there's a problem and look, I can do use a solution to fix it. And I think that's amazing. That's where we should all try to get to. Um, and you know, another way to think about this And this is sort of like why I don't um, drink very much anymore is like I've noticed that two days after I I have like two or three glasses of wine, um, two days later, I'll usually be in a foul mood. It's not the hangover. Right. But it's the two days later. I'm like, I'm just the, the days sort of are crummy. And after watching that over the course of, you know, being an adult, I'm like, oh, look, two days ago I had, you know, red wine and that makes me feel crappy now. And then if I don't drink any alcohol, I actually feel pretty good all the time. So I'm going to drop the alcohol. And, 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 and it's, it's, you know, a person who's not mindful will think, oh, that, that person's a dick or, oh, um, you know, uh, I'm, you know, just really angry today. And they're not going to step back and look at the context uh, where they are. And, and I think that's what you're saying is really good. It's like you look at the context, be mm-hmm. mindful, and try to apply uh, some solution to it.
1: So one thing I got to ask you about that um, absolutely sold me on the book, uh, when you climbed Kilimanjaro with WIM, um, and you basically didn't do any training other than the breathing on a daily basis and running three miles, three times a week. And I've, I've run ran three miles, three times a week for years. Um, and during that time I had a friend that was also training for Kilimanjaro who had been training for months and was trying to get, uh, get get used to different elevations and, and acclimatizing his body to get ready for the, for the hike. And he was going to do it over three to four days and getting all this winter climbing, you know, hiking equipment. And you basically said, hey, Wim, can I join you? And Wim's like, yeah, let's go. And didn't train at all. And you were the second one up the mountain in world record time with Wim. And w- what was that experience like? Because, um, you're a regular guy lives in Denver, you know, you're a journalist and author, uh, you're not a superhuman, you're not a guy that's at the gym every single day, um, pumping iron and, and doing, you know, this was the first big, uh, was this the first big mountain that you had, had climbed into? Uh, like- yeah,
0: this was the, this was the first sort of continental, like name brand mountain I'd done okay. like, a 14,000 peaks and, and stuff like that before. Um, but, uh, it was, you know, it was amazing. I also think I had a, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder when I went into it. I was like, of course I can do it. I've been breathing a lot, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and it was a magical experience because it was, you know, the mountain challenges you in a way where you're in that environment. And actually my, my of, of course I could do it sort of falters at some point where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure, this is actually a very hard challenge. You know, it, it's 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 quite fascinating to, to pay attention to the environment and pay attention to your body, realize all these stresses around you, and say and, and and relax into them. To relax into that that stress of going up there, and and also realizing that I can do the Wim Hof method to acclimate to oxygen deprivation. So if you took an, a pulse oximeter, which tells you how much blood oxygen is in your body, um, I. I I basically breathed the Wim Hof method breathing the entire way up the mountain from the bottom to the top. So, with as the oxygen got um, more sparse as you as I got to the top, I compensated by breathing more. And I could actually see it on this pulse oximeter I would be if I, if I stopped doing the breathing for a little while my my blood oxygen level would drop down to 60s and 70s and then I would do this breathing constantly and would go back up into the 90s uh, you know mid mid 90s uh, and and it was something I was like, oh, I can just really just hack my body by just doing this breathing and that was the the trick that got me up to the top of the mountain we just breathed more <laughs> um, and you know that your friend who was doing um altitude training go up like third of the mountain and you stay there for a couple days and in order to generate more red blood cells right. so that you can compensate for the lower oxygen then you go up another couple thousand feet and you stay there for a couple days and you get more red blood cells uh, and until when you're at the top you have enough red blood cells to, to deal with very low oxygen um, what i was doing is just like, making my red blood cells work harder <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I gave them more oxygen so that it actually, in the end, it, it compensated and worked out just fine. And I think this is a technique that mountaineers should all absolutely learn immediately um, in, as, a, as a way to uh, combat altitude sickness um, uh, when you're exposed to these, these extremes. I think it would save a lot of lives.
1: After you, you did that, was there any recovery period whatsoever? or What did you guys do afterwards, just hike back down and go back to regular life? Yep. Hiked back down. Uh, okay. and, and, and I'll tell you, hiking back down
0: was really hard. Like, really? um, the, the, the getting up, you know, was one thing, but on the way back down, I was, you know, pretty beat. Like it took, it took about as long to get back down as it did to get up because my knees were shredded from the constant moving up the mountain. Uh, uh, but the altitude sickness was never the problem. It was more just like, maybe I should have prepared more physically. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and how many hours did you guys do it? 26? It,
0: it was 28 to the top of the mountain, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is incredibly fast. It, you know, it's, it's not a world record. The world record is actually, I think, six hours by Killian Juret, um, who did it by acclimating to the top of the mountain, running down to the bottom, and then restarting um okay. and he's he's a world class amazing ultra runner but for unacclimatized people um this is a crazy thing you know yeah. the dutch mountaineering association uh said we would all die yeah. um, the people who went up there so it uh, but in terms of like speed world record it was not it was more of like a idiot world record <laughs>
1: <laughs> got it um what do you what are some of the things we can expect out of if, if you don't mind spoiling some uh, give us some, some spoilers from your new book hey, can you uh, can you share with anything
0: well it's what i was saying is i'm trying to explore the way to use different environmental stimulus mixed with um, a mental attitude to to expand our control over autonomic systems and you know it, it, it's how to like get more control over your body how to overcome fear how to use fear to get more focus, how to to, to work in cooperation with people how to beat addictions how to how to to really delve deeply into your bodies by using practices that aren 't traditional medicines um, it 's not a pill it's by by using the interaction between your body and the environment to gain more control of your body and' uh, it 's it's a blast I'm, I'm, I traveled all over the world I studied with lots of great people. And I came out with a few techniques that I think that people will be able to use and, and expand their journey after they've gotten through some you know, Wim Hof training and realize that they can do it. I'm hoping I'm, I'm giving people some more avenues to, to learn more and also realize that the Wim Hof method is just part of a general principle of self-mastery that, that we all have access to.
1: Yeah, amazing oh scott i think my friend we're gonna wrap it up there i really appreciate right. you coming on the show um any final words or tips or tricks you want to share with us before we wrap up
0: yeah i'm gonna uh, suggest go and listen to my book on uh, on audible sometime yeah. it's it's i think the the i read it myself um and uh and you know if you you like the dulcet sound of my voice uh, you get to hear <laughs> me for longer uh and uh, yeah. Check that out. Um, if you, if you want to help me um, steal money from Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, um, you can go to my uh, Twitter page and click the link there or go to ScottCarney.com slash audible. And then I take $75 from Jeff Bezos and you get like a free week or two months or some, some amount of some good offer from Amazon There we go. Um, uh, and uh, or get that from the library, which is also totally fine. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I'd like, I, what I want, really want people to do is just get further into their bodies and, and realize that some of the assumptions that we have about what our limits are are really based on uh, assumptions that, that have no basis in reality.
1: Uh, amazing. And I can second that book. I read it um, in 2018 for the first time and I was just reviewing the notes before the show here, Scott, and I was like, oh my God, I got to read this thing again. It was so good. Nice. Uh, Yeah. So it was well-written and adventurous and fun. And so if you're into things like Wim Hof and climbing mountains and doing these, uh, tapping into your body and internal experiences, like it's a really, really great book. Um, yeah so again thank you so much for coming on the show my friend thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and experience with us we really appreciate it thank you Scott great thanks for having me on appreciate it listeners we're going to wrap up there thank you guys for tuning in once again and we'll see you on the next episode goodbye everybody Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.